Thank you so much for your time of worship, and thank you, Brother Tommy, and all of you who have led us so aptly and wonderfully. It's just refreshing to come into the house of the Lord and be able to worship, isn't it? It really is. I am uh, about to bar- embark on uh, a series uh, beginning with going back to the series of portraits of Christ in the Old Testament. And I'm going to start there today, and we're going to launch out from this launching pad on this particular subject and look at the promise of God of the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. I preached a series several years ago on the end times and uh, when he'll be coming back and looking forward to that, and God just will not let me rest. And I'm not going to necessarily repeat those sermons. I will glean from those, and we're going to look at that subject for several weeks. I really believe with every ounce of my being, and that is a lot of ounces, okay? I really believe that we are in the very last days. I've, I've, I've preached that all of my ministry. I heard it preached when I was a little boy, but how I've seen that grow and and things come to pass and to know that we are really seeing fulfillment of bible prophecy and and you know i never imagined i never imagined as a child because we were so staunchly supportive of the nation of israel as a country that this nation promised Israel that we would always be Israel's friend. And we've taken stands with Israel that no other nation has taken at times. And we stood with them. And, and God has, has blessed those who have stood, stood with the nation of Israel. And in prophet, Bible prophecy, you know, Israel is a, a viable and an important part of that in the future with the coming of Jesus and the battle of Armageddon that takes place and setting up his earthly kingdom and those out of uh, the Jewish race that will, that will come to faith in Christ during that time, those descendants of Abraham that will come to Christ during that time and many of them will believe and they'll be given that opportunity during that time. We see everything shaping up and, and when we look at our own nation, a nation that was founded on biblical principles, I... I do not apologize for that statement. I believe that with every ounce of my being was taught that in my younger life. We used to teach it in school. Uh, we used to help our children understand the importance of the cornerstone of America and our foundation upon a holy God and his blessings upon this nation. We've moved away from all of that. And we see even now there are those that are introducing in our leadership in our nation a bitterness, a hatred for the nation of Israel. And there's going to come a time, I'll just go ahead and assure you, when the, when the Bible teaches that every nation will come against Israel and Jesus will come and save Israel at the Battle of Armageddon, he didn't say every nation except one. He didn't say every nation except the United States, but I'm telling you, I've always felt that that just wasn't mentioned 
and that the United States would stand with Israel for all time. But I'm telling you, I really believe the time is coming when we will join with the other nations, maybe even having been uh, defeated as the bear devours the eagle. And you can look at that in your scriptures and, and come up with some understanding and some explanation of your own. But, you know, we're the eagle, uh, Russell being the bear, the bear will devour the eagle. It just looks like it's shaping up. And we love our nation. We love, love our nation, and we're thankful for it. But as you study Bible prophecy, that's the only mention of the United States at all in the Bible prophecy. And so things are shaping up for that. And I, I think it's time to give attention to that again, to encourage the church of what is for us and, and what awaits us and the promises of God and to make us aware of what's going on around us so that we have peace and hope in the midst of all of this and will not be ashamed of the gospel and will take our stands in this difficult day in which we find ourselves. But today, I want to launch out from Jesus being the rock. Jesus is spoken of as the rock in several places and even is explained from the Old Testament in the New Testament. And we're going to look at that truth for a few minutes this morning as we study this. Later, I'll get to the book of Daniel, chapter 2, but I'll save that for the last point of the message today. Francis' top lady was driving in a terrible thunderstorm. Now, when I say driving, this is before there was a a car, okay? He was driving his wagon, drawn by the horse, and he became frightened and realized that his life was in danger because the lightning was flashing everywhere, the rain was pouring, the wind was blowing the rain, and he was getting soaking wet, and he glanced and noticed that there was a rock, a big, big rock, we'd call it a mountain, over to his left, and there was a, a place that was sort of cleared in the rock and there was a crevice there and he could go and pull his wagon under there and he did and he got in in that place and was safe in the cleft of the rock while he was sitting there God spoke to his heart and he realized how dependent he was on the protection and the power and the will of God in his own life thus he composed the song Rock of ages, cleft for me, let me hide myself in thee. You see, we need an unshakable, sure foundation to build our life upon. We need a haven from the storms of life. And if you're not walking through a storm now, you have just finished one, or we may know we may be headed into one quickly, but there are storms in life that every person, every family, every group of people, every nation even walk through the storms of life. But we need a place that we can know that we're safe. And that is exactly what is offered in the Lord Jesus Christ, the cleft and the cleft of the rock. Jesus is often pictured, as I said earlier, as a rock or a stone. In our text today, he is a stone that falls 
and that's in Daniel, he is the stone that falls and destroys the kingdom of the Antichrist in the last days and then establishes his perfect kingdom in its place. But I want to show you four pictures of Jesus as a stone this morning to help us, and the last one being that found in Daniel chapter 2. But first of all, I want you to notice that Jesus is the saving stone. He is indeed the saving stone. In Exodus chapter 17, and I'm telling you, it's going to come out of the Old Testament, and we'll go to the New Testament to see the explanation of it. Exodus chapter 17, verses 5 and 6. And the Lord said to Moses, Go on before the people and take with you some of the elders of Israel. Also take in your hand your rod with you, which you struck the river, and go, behold, I will stand before you there on the rock of Horeb, and you shall strike the rock and water will come out of it that the people may drink. When you turn to the New Testament in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, the Apostle Paul writes this, Moreover, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware that all our fathers were under the cloud, all passed through the sea, all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink for they drank of the spiritual rock that followed them and that rock was Christ. That's exactly what Paul explains of that rock and that, that they drank from as we come to the New Testament. Out in the wilderness, Israel was dying, perishing from thirst. God told Moses to go out and to hit the rock, to smite it in the King James language. When he did, the rock broke open and life-giving water gushed out. Paul says that that was a picture of Jesus. That's what he helps us understand. We were dying in our spiritual wilderness. And on the cross, God laid on our sins upon him and poured out upon him the full penalty of our sins, according to Isaiah 53, 5. I remember reading, I think it was a couple of years ago now, you know, California just, and that region seems to be hit with fires every year. And they just consume acres and acres. And my son and daughter-in-law live in Colorado, and it's true for that area also. And there have been a couple of times that Michael's call us a dead pray. We, we have fires all around us up here and pray that they'll be able to get them out. But th those fires destroy thousands of acres of land and timber. And I remember seeing this where there was a huge wall of flame 20 feet up in the air, just roaring, overcoming everything that was in its path. But they showed a homeowner who had burned a huge circle all the way around his house, way out from the house. He burned everything else up to the foundation of the house. And it miraculously, as the fire approached his property, it did not enter on that that was already burned, of course, and it went around him, and his entire home was spared from being destroyed 
by the fire. Why? Because fire cannot come where fire has already been. Fire cannot burn what has already been burned. And it missed his property, and he did not have to pay consequences. What does that have to do with us? In Philippians 1.1, the saints who are in Christ Jesus, the Bible teaches that when we become Christians, our spiritual position changes. We were formerly in our sins. We were formerly under the control of a sinful nature. But our new position is not in our sins. We are now in Christ. And when God placed our sin on Jesus, he poured out the fire of his judgment on the Son of God, and fire cannot come where fire has already been. Jesus is our rock of safety. He's the one who has given us life and protects us, and the judgment of God upon us has passed because it was laid upon the Lord Jesus Christ. The second thing I'd have you to see, Jesus is our cornerstone. There's a song that's been out for a long time. Jesus is the cornerstone. We've, we've sung it here. Others have sung it. In Isaiah chapter 28 and verse 13, 16, excuse me, it says, Therefore, thus says the Lord God, Behold, I lay in Zion a stone for a foundation, a tried stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. Whoever believes will not Act hastily. For us, Jesus is the cornerstone. What does that mean? That means that twice, as you'll notice, twice in this verse, Isaiah talks about the cornerstone being the foundation. It's where the walls begin for a building. The cornerstone is a reference point, and it is the point of weight-bearing and it's a very important part of building a building, the cornerstone. Twice he mentions that being the foundation. The cornerstone was that part of the foundation that rests the, the, upon which rests the rest of the foundation and was built around it. Jesus is the irreplaceable, indispensable foundational stone for all of life. Until he is in place in your life, until you receive his forgiveness and re invite him into your heart and life and are saved, until that he is in place, nothing else is going to work right. Nothing's going to stand up. You're not going to be able to stand. I, I remember uh, when I was growing up, mama would buy some puzzles. I I'm real, not a real big fan of puzzles, and I wouldn't offend you by that, but uh, Melanie and I went off on a couple of trips with uh, some friends of ours, and, and they love puzzles. I mean, they just live to put puzzles away. And the first night, it was okay. We stayed up to about 3 o'clock in the morning putting a puzzle together, and Melanie got plumb tired of it and went over and got her a book and sat in the corner and read. But I stayed right there with Sid and Barbara and... We put the puzzle together and finished, and 
the next evening we'd gone out to eat dinner and we came back in and she says, I brought another puzzle we can put together. And I thought, oh, my Lord, help us. And Melanie says, you know, I'm tired. I think I'm going to bed. I says, you know, I love Melanie. I think I'm going to join her. <laughs> and we didn't put another puzzle together, but I, I did. But, you know, one thing I remember in putting a puzzle, and it happens, seems to happen more often than we would want to even think about, but you'll decide to put a puzzle together. Even when the puzzles are with your children and the, the pieces are larger and they're easier to figure out, and you get down to it and there's one piece missing. <clears throat> Nothing is more irritating than to want to finish a puzzle and a piece is missing. You can't paint one. You can't draw one. You can't make it work out. It's just, and, and you know what? You can leave that puzzle on the table, and, and you're going to come by and look at it. And, you know, I can remember when we were younger, Mother would always say, I'll tell you what, we'll get a piece of cardboard, and we'll glue that thing together, and I'll put a frame around it. And she never did it. She thought it was ugly, too. But she'd, you know. But you, you walk by, and you look at that puzzle, and that piece is missing, and that's all you see. You don't see the beautiful landscape. You don't see the colors of the leaves on the trees that it presents. You see that dumb missing piece. But let me tell you, there are a lot of folks with a missing piece in their lives. For you see, Jesus is the centerpiece of our puzzle. Without him, life just isn't pretty. Life is ugly. It loses its meaning. It's not anything you want to look at. You despise your life outside of Christ because you don't seem to be able to do anything right. And, and you wonder why things are falling apart and you wonder why there's no joy and happiness in your life. It's because the missing piece is Jesus and he's the one that brings it all together and makes it beautiful and pleasing and leads us. Let me ask you something. How is life working for you? How are things going in your life? I'm not asking you how you're making it appear that life is working for you by putting on a fake smile and, and, and just answering folks, well, everything's hunky-dory with us. You know what? We can put on that for a while, but in our heart of hearts, we really know how life is going. Jesus is the central piece. And without Jesus, nothing's going to work right. Your family's not going to work out right. You aren't going to work right in your own self. How's it going with you? How's life working for you? If it isn't working for you, maybe it's because you're missing the foundation of the Christian life. That is Jesus, the cornerstone. Jesus is the cornerstone. But let me tell you a third thing. Jesus is the dividing stone. In Isaiah chapter 8 and verse 14, it says he will be as a sanctuary 
but a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense to both the houses of Israel as a trap and a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And then you come to the book of Romans, and Romans chapter 9, as Paul writes to the church at Rome, he says this in verse 33, as it is written, behold, I lay in Zion a stumbling stone, a rock of offense, and whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. To those who believe, Jesus is a sanctuary. To those who believe, he is a place of safety. He is a place of assurance. He's a place of hope. He's a place of comfort. He's a place of knowing what your future is and that God is going to provide and protect all of us. He is a stone of stumbling. There are only two groups. One group is a group of believers. I'd like to think that everyone in this building belongs in that group. You're a believer. You know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. But there's another group of those who don't know the Lord Jesus. You see, all of humanity can be divided into those two categories. It, it, I'm not talking about denominations within the Christian faith. I, I'm not talking about other religions and which ones here. Listen, every person is in one of two groups. Either they know Jesus as the cornerstone of their life, or they don't know Jesus and they're not saved. Every person's either saved or lost. No middle ground, no almost there. You know, we, we sing that old hymn, Almost Persuaded Now to Believe. I do believe there's some truth in that. I believe the Holy Spirit does draw you and, and the, the work of the Holy Spirit is to bring you to faith in Christ and, and he gently works in your mind and heart and drawing you to the Savior, almost persuaded now to believe, but there are lots who are never persuaded and do not believe. In 1 John 5, 11 and 12, and this is the testimony that God has given us eternal life, and this is the life is in his Son. He who has the Son has life, and who who has not the Son does not have life. Which category are you in? You see, he's a stone of division. He divides the saved from the lost, the church from the world, the Christian from the unbeliever. Jesus, the dividing stone. Then I want us to talk for just a few minutes and think on for a few minutes Jesus being the conquering stone. You might want to turn your Bibles to the book of Daniel. This is a lengthy reading, and you might want to follow there. Daniel chapter 2, and I'll begin reading in 36 in just a minute. Daniel 2 and verse 36, reading all the way through 45, and just a couple of statements. And I'll be through. Jesus is the conquering stone. Beginning with verse 36. This is the dream 
Now, when we tell the interpretation of it before the king, you, king, O king, are a king of kings. For the God of heaven has given you a kingdom, power, strength, and glory. And wherever the children of men dwell, or the beasts of the field, or the birds of the heaven, he has given them into your hand, and has made you ruler over them all. You are the head of gold. But after you shall arise another kingdom, inferior to yours, then another, a third kingdom of bronze, which shall rule over all the earth. And the fourth kingdom shall be as strong as iron, inasmuch as iron breaks in pieces and shatters everything. And like iron that crushes, that kingdom will break in pieces and crush all the others. Whereas you saw the feet and toes partly of a potter's clay and partly of iron, the kingdom shall be divided, yet the strength of the iron shall be in it, just as you saw the iron mixed with the ceramic clay. And as the toes of the feet were partly of iron and partly of clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly fragile. As you saw iron mixed with ceramic clay, they will mingle with the seed of men, but they will not adhere to one another, just as iron does not mix with clay." And in the days of these kings of God of heaven, of the God of heaven, let me try it again. And in the days of these kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed. And the kingdom shall not be left to other people. It shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms and it shall stand forever. Inasmuch as you saw the stone was cut out of the mountain without hands, and that it broke in pieces the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold. The great God has made known to the king that what will come to pass after this. The dream is certain, and its interpretation is sure. Daniel comes to the king who's had this dream of this, this figure and he now, all we read was the interpretation of it. And he says to him, the very last statement, the dream is certain and its interpretation is sure. His kingdom will be set up, sweeping aside earthly kingdoms when Jesus comes again. Today, it is in spiritual form. Today, his kingdom is in the church in spiritual form. Those who are born again, brought into the kingdom of God. And Jesus talked about his kingdom when he was in his earthly ministry and building his kingdom and being a part of the kingdom of God. And that's what is in spiritual form today. There's not a kingdom of Christianity there, there's a, that, that rules over a certain part of the earth and, and over certain landmass. It's not in physical form. Right now it's spiritual. But when he comes, it will take physical form. When Jesus comes, he will set up his kingdom on this earth and physical form. Something that the church has been praying for for years and years. We pray it in the Lord's Prayer. The, 
Thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. And let me tell you, I believe in finishing this message today, I believe that is where we are today. The kingdom of God is soon to come. We are part of the kingdom of God spiritually. If you've been saved, you're a part of the kingdom of God. You're a part of the family of God. You're a part of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he promises the church that we will be taken out of this. And we're going to talk about that in the Sundays to come. He promises the church that he's going to rescue us from the impending danger. He promises the church that we will not go through the time of great tribulation. He promises the church that we, we will not go through the destruction that's going to take place. He will remove us from it. And then he will plant a physical kingdom when he comes, up, comes again and he destroys this world and sets up his own kingdom with the redeemed forever it will take physical form the question is are we ready the question is are you ready for as when you when you read the scripture and know that this is coming to pass you understand between where we are as the spiritual form of the kingdom of god having been birthed into the family of God, having been born again, made a part of that kingdom, and the time when he sets up his physical kingdom, there is things, there are things that are going to take place, and it's not going to be pleasant for the most part. It's going to be terrible. There's going to, there's going to be folks fighting against others. There, there's going to be hatred and bitterness the world is going to come to a place where Christians just do not at all feel at home here. And I'm telling you, I'm about there, aren't you? We don't feel at home here anymore because what we see, the changes that are taking, a place, from, taking place around us. And you know, we live in a country that was built on biblical foundations. We live in a country that unapologetically named the name of Jesus. And even one of our presidents says, it is the will of God that the United States of America be the instrument that the gospel of Jesus is carried to all people in every nation in this world. That's what we've been built upon. But we've seen that erode. We've seen things change. We've come to the place where the sin in our area, the sin in our world is more prominent than the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, more acceptable than the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, and is more adhered to than the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We are living in that day. As my mama used to say, and Brother Jim stole it, put that in your pipe and smoke it. We are living there, but there is hope. There is joy, there is peace, there is a promise for the church. But you know, to be prepared for it, is now. The time to get ready for it is now. The time to get ready for it is not going to be when everything's storming in and things are changing and, and the world has become a very difficult place for the Christian to even survive, let alone to be happy. 
You can't get ready then. Now is the time to get into the spiritual walk, to have an understanding, to have a peace in your heart and your mind as to what's taking place around us is all in the permissible will of God and in his plans for redeeming the church and setting up a physical kingdom where we'll never deal with sin ever again. What a joy to look forward to that. What a hope we have in Christ Jesus. And you know, let me say this. I understand young people. I understand young families. I understand a parent with children. I see some of them sitting around in the balcony tonight or this morning, and you're thinking, oh, I really want my children to grow up. I want to see them grow up. I, I, I want to see what God has in store for them. I, I want to see them become a, a, an adult, and I, I want to experience that as a parent. I want to help them grow. Well, that's, that's what you ought to do. But at the same time, we need to be preparing our children spiritually. We need to be preparing our families spiritually that this world is not our home. The things of this world are not what bring us joy and contentment. The things of this world are not the things that would bring us together. What brings us together is the Lord Jesus Christ and his Holy Spirit working in our lives, and we bear witness one to another that we are indeed the children of God, and it's in this nucleus, it's in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ and the relationship we, that we know that we draw strength and we have peace and joy, contentment and hope. You can have the best for your children. You can offer them the very best by making sure you teach them spiritual things. Make sure you teach them about Jesus Make sure that he is the center of your home. I don't mean to be ridiculously a fanatic about it and, and, and just try to be completely separated in life from the things around this world. No, I'm not saying you can't enjoy the fun of, of being alive. Of course you can. You ought to be merry. You ought to be happy. But in Jesus, knowing that there's peace and hope and joy protection, that there's love, there's a sense of belonging in the family of God. And may we set our affections on the things of heaven. May we set our, our love on the Lord Jesus Christ. And may we teach our children and our children's children, may we teach them to love the Lord your God with all your heart with all your strength, with all your soul. Love the Lord your God. May we teach our children an old song, every day with Jesus is sweeter than the day before. I'm telling you, every day with Jesus is better than any day without him. And we need to teach our families, love our families, 
enjoying the things that we get to enjoy as a family and in the community and with our friends, but the whole time understanding that this is not our permanent residence. This is not where we find our hope. This is not where we find our peace and our joy. For this world is not home to the Christian. If you've been to a funeral that I've done, you know that I often, I just love the scripture and I think it speaks so wonderfully of the message of the gospel, especially for those who are come to a funeral and they don't have a walk with Jesus. And I, I usually quote the 14th chapter, the first few verses of, of John, which says, let not your heart be troubled, but you believe in God, believe also in me and my Father's house of many mansions. You know that. But I tell them, and I told it yesterday, Jesus said, the answer to your perplexity, the answer to your fears, your answer to the things that you don't think you're given, is believe in the person of Jesus. He gives the formula. Believe in me. Teach your children. We believe in Jesus. Teach your children. Jesus is our everything. Jesus is our Lord. He's our Savior. He is the one who gives us life and protects us. He is always with us. Believe in a person. Believe in a place. You know, the church has lost its vision and view of heaven. We'd rather talk about Auburn or Alabama than talk about heaven. I'm telling you, I know. I said we, I didn't say y'all. We'd rather talk about things that are going, we'd rather talk about how much we despise Washington, D.C. and the leadership they have in certain places than to talk about Jesus. You know, that ought not to be first and foremost in our lives. It is disappointing. It is disheartening. But we are not of this world. Paul says, come out from among them and be a separated people. Believe in a place that we have another citizenship. Believe in a promise. That's what we're going to talk about for the next few weeks. Believe in a promise. Jesus said, if I go away, I will, might, could, will come again. That where I am, there you may be also. Oh, my goodness. Help us to walk in that. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the message of your word. Lord, I, I, I thank you that you've given me a piece about where we're to walk in the days ahead and studying your word and being reminded of those truths and bringing more things out than we have in the past and teaching it. Lord, I pray that you'll be right in the midst of what we're doing. Our folks will be excited about it. They'll, they'll be gathering in this place next Sunday as we go back on regular schedule. And Lord, I pray that this will be a wonderful time as we walk and grow and worship and fellowship together.
today if there's one person who doesn't know the stone that the builders rejected. They don't know Jesus. I pray they'll come to him, the rock of rocks, the strength, the hope, the joy and the peace, salvation in Christ Jesus. Have your way in Jesus' name. Amen.